this week's episode of His Film, Her Movie. I'm Jordan. And I'm Lauren. And we are, together, the podcast that answers the question, to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love? In each episode, we choose a different cinematic topic and then have to choose one film each that relates to that topic. Yes. How are you? I am good. You are good. You seem up and energetic. I uh, I have had we had a lovely weekend. We did. And I feel like that has made my Monday nice. <laughs> a good weekend. Yes, we've had a very good weekend seeing some of the podcast family. Yes, we have. And drinking drinks with them. And drinking drinks and eating food and all the lovely, lovely things that you can do. But we've got a bit of housekeeping. We have. To get through. The first one is we have a new website. We do. It's all fancy, all singing, all dancing. Yeah, so if you go over to hisfilmhermovie.com, you'll have all the links to your heart's content. We've got links for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps that you listen to. We've got links to... Pod Syndicate mm-hmm. to well, if you want to email the show, you can just you, click if, a link now, you don't have to remember exactly. And another link on that website is one to our brand new mm-hmm. Discord. Mm-hmm. So we're down with the kids with the Discord. Neither of us really know what it does. No, it, it's a nice community chat area. let uh, that's the way I'm trying to sell it. Community chat, okay. Yeah. So it's another excuse for me not to do any work. Yes. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to go over to our Discord, so we've got one for his film, her movie, but we've also got like an overall pod syndicate one. Yes, we do. So go over there, just click on the link on his film, her movie. You'll take straight to there and get involved. Yes. The other piece of housekeeping that we've got is that I was a guest on the Cine North podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, a lovely... Um, Criterion Collection podcast with Ian Catcher and Boom and we discussed Blowout, the Brian De Palma film, the 1981 Brian De Palma film, Blowout and it was a great time. Yes. Those guys are legit nice and they're Northern Onions and yeah it was such a blast just recording for them so if you want to hear my dulcet northern tones on another podcast you can just search for (laughs) Cine Notes in any of your podcasting catches, and I'll be there. Sorry, it's the dulcet northern tones. I do have very distinctive dulcet northern tones. As you do well. have a very, very distinctive northern accent. <laughs> very distinctive. Not dumb, just distinctive. Never said it was dumb. <laughs> Never said it was dumb. But now we've got the housekeeping out of the way. We've, we've brushed the floors. We've dusted. What is our topic for this episode of His Film, Her Movie? This episode, we are doing courtroom dramas. Yes. So those films that take place, surprise, surprise, in, in the courtrooms. And what have you chosen for this week? I picked the 2020 The Trial of the Chicago 7, the Netflix film. Yes, and I chose 1982's The Verdict, starring the one and only Paul Newman, directed by Sidney Lumet. And we'll get into that, but before we get into the meat and gravy of it, mm-hmm. what have you been watching since we've last recorded? What's been keeping you entertained? Um. Well, we did go and see Cruella. 
We did. We went to the cinema. Went to the cinema, saw Cruella, enjoyed it, which I know is quite a controversial opinion to have, though we enjoyed it in the scape of not thinking it was a Cruella. Yeah, it's like one... 101 Dalmatians prequel. Yeah, well, like within the canon of the actual character and the actual 101 Dalmatians verse, if there is a verse of 101 Dalmatians, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit right. It shouldn't exist. But as a standalone movie, as a single story, mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. It's so, it's lightweight. Yeah, it's too long, but I enjoyed the young up-and-coming fashion designer mm-hmm. against the, the the matriarch of the design world and the difference between the traditional and the new and the punk. And the the uh the costumes, the whole everything look look amazing. It's shot nicely. It's a like you said, it's an easy watch. It is a very easy watch. And so you've got Emma Thompson who who plays the the Duchess, the villain of the piece who mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Just Chewing scenery. Emma Stone seems like she's having a good time. Yeah, and she the, the, holds her own against Emma does. Thompson. She really she's does. Really good. And it's just one of those things where, yeah, it, it sort of spoils it because it's trying to fit a, a square into a circle hole. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, would this film only be commercially viable if it was because it's part of this Disney machine? Yeah. Like, as, as you mentioned before, it's like the, the, the stylings of the dresses and um the the costumes are very Vivian Westwood. They are, yes. And you think that would be what Vivian Westwood was in the seventies towards other fashion designers? She was so out there that she would have been seen as a threat. So why not just make it like a Vivian Westwood movie? Do you think that somebody's just like sneakily Spilling the tea on Vivian Westwood and like this is what she was like when she was younger. She was just like a little bit of a rebel. Yeah, but like absolutely nuts. <laughs> Maybe absolutely nuts. Because she's got the wonderful eccentricities down now. Maybe we just know her as that because in her in her younger days, she got out all the proper crazy. That could be it. But like I said, I just like the idea of change in people. Mm-hmm. Trying to break the machine. Subvert the norms. Exactly. And yes. And there is there's some actual costume moments in that movie which are... Which do not get featured in trailers. No. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say garbage truck. That costume brilliant. genuinely, like, it took me back. Yeah, it's amazing. That's what's going to win. Um, I think it's Gillian Beaver, I think, it Bevan. Mm-hmm. The costumes, that's going to win her Oscar, that dress alone. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. It's so, so definitely. good. Anything else you've been watching? Usual. Angel. <laughs> the Office. Um, yeah. Filthy Rich. Mm. Trash, basically. Just trash. Just continuing your trash. Continuing my trash. Though, I think I'm up to series three of Angel. Gonna be running out soon. Yeah, you're gonna need another fix. Although we have gotten to near the end of Mayor of East Town. Yes, it's been so good. It has. Again, I mean, I think we mentioned it when we watched the first episode. That small town procedural mm-hmm. is just right up my alley, and it's it hasn't disappointed. It doesn't do anything massively surprising. It's just a great atmospheric TV oh, it's show. Abs- it's absolutely brilliant. You sit and you watch it, and 
it's slow paced, but it's not at the same time. Mm. It's just, oh, it's just great. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Well, for me, I actually went to the cinema twice before I went to see Cruella. Yes. I went to see Spiral from the Book of Saw, mm-hmm. um, the Chris Rock starring Saw spin-off, mm-hmm. which, and I, and I get this, like Chris Rock went to the studio and was like, I have an idea, let's make it. Studio said yes. So it, it kind of is his baby. And so the fact that I want to say that I think him being cast in the main role is a mistake is a little bit of um, shade, but... Mm. It's just the fact that you've got this movie that a party he's just being Chris Rock and a party he's not, but it's a, it's it's a serious horror film, not in a sense of a word, but it's very takes itself seriously. Yeah, and his voice <clears throat> doesn't go with that kind of a movie. And I don't talk about his voice in the larger sense. I'm just talking, literally talking about his spoken voice. Mm-hmm. His spoken voice. His spoken voice. Spoken <laughs> voice. <laughs> And he just sticks out like a sore thumb, and he isn't very good in the role either, which is a shame because he's supposed to be this gel, and mm-hmm. um, everything's supposed to go through him. Samuel Jackson's in it, but is on. Do you think then he would be better at looking at being like a producer he of should, it, he, or something? Well, he was as well. I mean, he, he produced it. He started, and he sort of had a part in the writing. Do you think he would? Be better. Do you think that was the production good? Was the writing better? Do you think if it was just maybe a different person to carry it, it would? It, it, it was probably a decent enough saw film, but as a police procedural, police sort of detective, it wasn't great, mm-hmm. even with that. So, yeah, that's a shame. The only other things that I've been watching is the other cinema watch was Those Who Wish Me Dead. Yes. Uh, the Taylor Sheridan movie starring Angelina Jolie, where she plays a firefighter when two assassins are trying to kill this kid. She takes him in. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed this because like Taylor Sheridan has a good track record, firstly of writing things, like he wrote Sicario and he wrote Hello High Water, then he went in directing with Wind River, which are all three great movies. Yeah. And this one is probably the the least strong out of what he's been doing but it's still enjoyable it's just the fact that you've got these thrillers which are aimed at adults that not 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 in a a salacious way but it's just that they probably won't be appealing to Mm -hmm. to a younger audience it's a film that yes has a child in it but everybody else is is an adult it's, it's about those tribulations and those those relationships yeah and I yeah I liked it. It starts off slow, but at the end is blistering. It, it is action packed at the end and very very enjoyable. But yeah, it's one of those things that if it was released twenty five years ago, it would just be one of another of these movies. But mm-hmm. because we don't get them that often, I think it does stand out a little bit more. Yeah, which is good. The only other thing that I've been watching is the Netflix, the big Netflix film of a couple of weeks ago, which was Army of the Dead. Yes, yes, that film. The Zack Snyder that zombie that I movie. I did not watch. No, you did not watch. You nope. don't do zombies. Don't do zombies. <laughs> nope. And this is the Dave Bautista um, starring movie where a bunch of mercenaries have to go into Las Vegas because mm-hmm. they've cordoned off this zombie zone um, to get 
200 million dollars now like this films doesn't go to plan um, shocking and I, I like the idea i like the idea of a heist movie set in, in a confined zombie apocalypse mm-hmm. that's cool it's just the fact that and, and Zack snyder was on a bit of a high because the snyder cook came out justice league and it seemed to be well liked yeah and we watched it we enjoyed it yeah even for four hours long and it just for this one yes this is over long it's two and a half hours as well so it should never ever be that long but Every decision that was made mm-hmm. seems to be well. Have the audience of what would be the coolest to a thirteen-year-old boy? Boobs and bombs. Yes. Why do they have to get this money? Like, it's just two hundred million dollars. So they're just going just because it's money. Yeah. Nobody needs like a life-saving operation. No. They're just, they're just pretty much going on a suicide mission well, for a, the chance for $200 million. Yeah, so um, this businessman comes over who you, well, I think owned one of the um, casinos, mm-hmm. said we got taken out of Las Vegas so quickly that there is this $200 million. We need it. If you get it, you can keep a portion of it. And Dave Batista's character had done some work within that zone before so he was the the main person to go and try and get them in and out i don't feel like that's a good plot (laughs) as in you mean as a good plan as in to go in or no so i'm sorry i'm sorry zach schneider i'm gonna put poor calls in your plot so is this like a business like it's in a like a casino thing now level-headed me would say that if something like that happened, wouldn't there just be insurance that will just give you the money back? Maybe. I don't know. That's it. To which I'm just like, well, then, love, just take the insurance and you've got your money and nobody has to go see some zombies and die. Oh, yeah. I don't then feel start, like it. Start writing your letter. I should. I should write an angry Dear letter. Dear Zack Snyder. You've got a crap film premise. They could just claim on the insurance and get the money back. Because I'm sure people will have got ripped out of there and lost loads of stuff and just got it back on insurance. <laughs> I think trying to put the idea of a zombie film in real world is a little bit weird. This is why I don't do well with it. Though I would really kind of like the idea of just a general day-to-day person just being like, I've escaped from a zombie apocalypse. I'm now going to rebuild my life. Well, that's what Shaun of the Dead is. Really, it's, it's no, an everyday because, person. No, because he's, he fights the zombies. I mean, like, they were they didn't have to fight it. They were just all herded out. All the zombies were like, put there, like, this has happened. And they're just like, okay, right now I'm homeless. What do I do? And it's like the aftermath. <laughs> the aftermath of a zombie apocalypse, we don't see that bit. We see the during. So most of the times we see the during or the outbreak. See the during, we see the outbreak. And then we, yeah, we we don't really see the aftermath. That's the bit. That's what World War Z did wrong. Because in the book, it had all about the aftermath and how people got on with their lives and how in the summer you stayed away from lakes because there were zombies in the lakes who would drag people down. This is what we need. 
You still wouldn't watch it. I still, I might, watch, <laughs> I might watch it more because there'll be less zombies. It's more like a people thing rather than fighting for supernatural survival, just fighting for survival. Good go on. I'm going to write it. Do you? Yeah. There you are. I'm going to get bored within half an hour, aren't I? <laughs> this is a summer project for you. <laughs> summer project. <laughs> By the end of this year, I will have sold it to a film. <laughs> to like a film company. And that's it for what I've been watching, really. So we might as well get into the show. What yes. film should we start with? Should we do my first? Let's do Trial of the Chicago 7. Yes. Do you have contempt for your government? I'll tell you, Mr. Schultz, it's nothing compared to the contempt my government has for me. We've heard testimony from 27 witnesses under oath that say you hoped for a confrontation with the police, that your plans for the convention were designed specifically to draw the police into a confrontation. Well, if I'd known it was going to be the first wish of mine that came true, I would have aimed a lot higher. It's a yes or no question. When you came to Chicago, were you hoping for a confrontation with the police? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. So, like I said, I picked the trial of the Chicago 7. It came out last year in 2020, a.k.a. the year that we shall never mention again. Yes. Directed by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, it has pretty good scores on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. So IMDb is 7.8 out of 10 and Rotten Tomatoes is 89%. Mm. It's a huge all-star cast, including Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Jeremy Strong, um, John Carroll Lynch, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, just to... Lemit? Lemit. Lemit. Never say his name right. JGL. 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 Uh, it's named But A Few, and basically the story is um, when the Democratic Party were having their uh, big get-together in Chicago, people went to protests, there was riots, and the new government are now putting on trial these seven men because they were leaders of different uh, organisations. Yeah. Um, and they're saying that they are responsible for the riots. For the riots. So I've watched this film maybe about three or four times now. Mm -hmm. And I picked it because every time I watch it, I I find something new to, to look at, something new to admire. The first time I watched it, the main thing that I got from it was I didn't know the story because yeah. it is based on a true story. So... I found that very interesting. Um, when it gets to the actual riots, you have the film footage interdispersed with actual footage from the riots. Yeah. And it's quite harrowing to watch because you can see that how they filmed it is a very, very good like replica. It's yeah, it's like I don't yeah, like a replica. They they move seamlessly in between. Yeah. You can't Except for like the slightly grainy texture of the old film, you can't tell what is film and what is news. Yeah, yeah. Because of how well they've done it. Then you, uh, once you get over that and you watch it again, you get very moved by people's, uh, by the actors' uh, presence on screen. Always say it, Sasha Baron Cohen in this 
is absolutely brilliant. He is very clever, uh, very quick-witted, gives brief uh, like releases of comedy, not enough like laugh out loud, mm. but enough so that way um, you can have like a little smile and be like, oh yeah, that's quite amusing, but it doesn't defer away from um, the actual awfulness of, the, yeah. of what you can see. The different actors, when they react to different things that are happening in the courtroom, like the racism that's out there, everything, very, very powerful, very believable. It's a, something that I've watched and I've, I find it, I don't feel like they're acting. I feel like they're living it. Yeah, yeah. And then on like my third watch, you end up seeing how they filmed it. So little things uh, like they have at the start, you have the protesters when they're going into the court and they're saying things like the whole world is watching Mm. because this was such a huge court case in America at the time. And then when you're in the actual courtroom, how they've lit the windows so you can't see out of the windows because it's so bright, but you would imagine then that people can then see in Mm. very easily. So it is like, the whole world is literally watching because yeah, the, yeah. they've lit the courtroom in that way. I think it's a really wonderful film. It's a heartbreaking film. It is. And it's one of those things where when this film was released, it's one of those weird coincidences of life imitating art mm-hmm. because a film about protests on a massive scale mm-hmm. when the protests regarding Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd and things like that were happening. It it just caught the zeitgeist of the moment, and it just caught the, the the imagination. I think that's one of the reasons also why it did so well because oh, it yes. is a, it is a very good movie. Yes, but it, yeah, it, it just rode that wave. Definitely, definitely. For me, one of the most powerful scenes that you see is Bobby Seal. So he isn't represented by anybody. He's constantly standing up. They're portraying him because he is a member of the Black Panthers. Like he is violent and he is like, he even says he is the scary black man to make people vote, uh, like punish them more harshly, even though he's never met these men and he is completely innocent. And um, when the uh, court attenders take him into the back room and beat him and literally gag and bound him and bring him back to um the courtroom it's it's disgusting yeah and it's incredibly difficult to watch because it's literally just a man trying to stand up for his rights and say i don't have representation it's actually i'm, I'm thinking i about, just want to be tried fairly it is and it's one of those things where i think one of the things the film does really well because making the judge the central point of like your hatred as an audience mm-hmm. and the injustice that comes from that that point of you you are the person, you are the law. Yeah. And when those people are being oppressive against and doing racist things, but then saying, I'm not racist, it it's again in this world of how many sentences are began with, I'm not racist, but yeah. it, it just brings it all to, to light. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I know that, like, we've discussed before, like, with it being quite a long runtime film, it is, like, mm. two hours, um, it doesn't 
feel not at all like it's that at all like we we said oh i will watch half of it tonight i'll watch the other half the next day and we didn't we sat and we watched the entire thing and we sort of said that one of one of our favorite scenes one of um is uh sasha baron cohen who plays abby hoffman yeah um telling the story of the night of the riots of the riots and him doing so, you know, they call it stand-up, but I don't feel like... It's more like a lecture. He's doing, like, a lecture yeah, um, to his supporters in, say, like, a pub or something like that, and it's flitting between him and then what actually happened. And you described it in, like, a really good well, way. Well, it's just... It's the fact that it... It cuts between three different... Th- three different timelines. It cuts between the courtroom, mm-hmm. cuts between the actual events and it cuts between Abby Hoffman telling the story and just the way that Aaron Sorkin writes that scene and the momentum he gets and the tension he creates by the quick editing and the fact that it's you're repeating things at the end of a of end of a of a, of a sequence but the, the next one comes up and they're repeating exactly what they're saying so it's like a through line yeah and it just boils and boils and boils and the music gets heavier and heavier and heavier and it it all comes to one moment and as i say that is my favorite moment of the film it's from my favorite scene of the film it's when yeah. abby hoffman is giving his lecture and it's when he's talking about there's 50s inside the bar 60s outside the bar mm-hmm. 50s inside 60s outside and then he just says and now for an unnecessary metaphor and they come crashing through the window into the bar yeah it's just well, when i saw it for the first time i just wanted to stand up and i wanted applause it's just like that is writing that is just the way you get a message across oh definitely the whole thing it's done in such a way that way you know exactly who everybody is yeah. You know exactly what's happening. There's no confusion because mm. it is quite a there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces. There there's is. a lot of people. There's a lot of things being said and accusations being th- thrown around. But you know, like you said within like the first 10 15 minutes who everybody is, what they're there to do, and the basic outline of what happened and then you go into the detail. Yeah. Without and- it feeling like sometimes it's like oh, hello, you're my sister and we live in the same house. It's not like that sort of... Yeah, it's... it's the the way Aaron Sorkin writes, and I think obviously writing in TV for so long and writing political issues as well with West Wing for, well, for four years. He ran for seven, but he only did for four years. And you've only got 42 minutes, so therefore you've got to get along across a lot of information but not bore the audience. And I think yeah. that is what he does and that's his special talent especially in the opening sequence where within yet within the first five ten minutes and it's 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 a montage but you understand who all the players are you understand their political leanings you understand what impact they had on the procedures and you understand um why they're there and what they're fighting and it's just sort of it's like when you're at school and a teacher can somehow create a game that you enjoy, but at the same time, it's actually teaching you something you're yes. learning um, and it's fun. And the way he does it with tackling serious subjects and important subjects, but 
injecting that levity and you say it's not legal dramas especially you can they can get a bit poor-faced and serious and sometimes dull yes but Sorkin's sense of humor and the way he does write Sasha Baron Cohen I mean especially the same when he's the, the judge is saying how there's two people called Hoffman in, mm-hmm. in the courtroom, there's me, and then there's this, and he just says like it's like father, and every, everybody laughs. It's just so well constructed, mm-hmm. and I really do like that. But as I've said on this podcast before, I am an Aaron Sorkin nerd. Like his stories and his dialogue, it's just like music to me. Like it's rhythm, it's flow. It's there's many imitators to him, but there is really only one, one real. McCoy in my eyes um but when looking at these two films that we were doing and because like courtroom dramas are one of my favorite subgenres, I, I do enjoy in film and in tv and I was trying to understand why and I sort of boiled it down to the fact that you've got forced conflict in a way mm-hmm. and the fact is like conflict is drama but you, you don't only have the the overarching ideas of what the, the trial that it's been put in front of you the case that's been tried yeah but you've got people going on the stand and you've got lawyers who are trying to get them tipped to trip them up or trying to understand if, if they're telling lies or not if they're perjuring themselves or just little holes within their within their narratives and that in itself, you get this overall conflict intersected with little conflicts, but the way they are structured and the way they're presented, it, the little bursts of adrenaline, mm-hmm. and I like that. And I think that is just, a, you never really know what to understand. Next, you understand that when somebody takes when somebody takes the stand, there's going to be a new plot development, and you're like, okay, What's that going to be? Yeah. And I really enjoy that. It's written wonderfully. It's directed wonderfully. It tackles a lot of very difficult subjects that were uh, relevant then and are still are relevant now. Yeah. And yeah, I know it came out in a year that we couldn't do much, so everybody was watching Netflix, but it's definitely something that you'd watch and it would make you think and it would teach you something rather than just being fodder that we just had to try and it's, fill yeah, our it's time absolutely not content yeah not, not just content that goes on because it's one of those things where and the reason why it penetrated so much is the fact that it's a film about something that took place in 1969 mm-hmm. however the world that we were in at that time was ex- it's the same you know what yeah. i mean it's you've got that the same issues the same things happening and it looks like progress isn't maybe happening as quickly as we think it is. Yeah, definitely. And I think what it does as well is that it argues that political minefield of why left-wing politics will always struggle, and I say this as a, as a liberal person, is the fact that if you're in, a, if you're in a, a left-wing society, there's always going to be somebody more liberal than you mm-hmm. who then looks at you as if you're right wing. Yeah. And the amount of infighting, you do get that with Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Eddie Redmayne's character. Because Eddie Redmayne is very much portrayed as the 
the stiff, the the person who's who is the system. Yeah. But <clears throat> what I think they do well is they show the common sense of that of mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne because when they have their argument per se, and he's saying that we're making change and all you care about is elections, and is and Eddie Redmayne was like, yes, I do because the only change you can make is by winning elections. Yes. And understanding that, yes, you can try and break the system, but the system's already going to be always going to be there and you're going to have to abide by it in some way. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, yeah, I love the way that dynamic. And on my final point is I love a good cameo reveal. Yes. So when you cut, you turn up to um, the house and... You have no idea who's going to be, and it turns out being Michael Keaton. You're just like, "Oh shit's going to go down." Yeah, it is. And it's brilliant. It's one of. I'm really disappointed that he had like a a mid career lull Mm -hmm. because he was so great in in the eighties and the early nineties, and he he had a good fifteen years where he wasn't forgotten, but he wasn't doing the the roles that he should have. But he's just got one of these. And I talked about it last last week with Carradine and. His face got that's got better with age. Yeah, just the, the wrinkles in his face, the way he smiles, he looks menacing. That's why I think he did so well in um, Spider Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. He he just fit that character. He, he he made that character memorable. Yes, just that performance. So yeah, I I, I really do enjoy Trial of Chicago Seven. I think it's it's really it's got a lot going for it for a two hour two hour film. It flies by. Oh, it com- it goes so fast. Yeah. So fast. I definitely recommend everybody to watch it. If you haven't already, then why? Why? It's there on Netflix. It's there on Netflix. I don't know anybody who hasn't got Netflix. <laughs> Even the cat's Cat. got ne- Netflix, bless it. Look, she was so <laughs> shocked that you might not have Netflix that she woke up. <laughs> so please go watch it, definitely. Absolutely. So we'll move on to... My pick. Yes. The verdict will have a short break and then we will come back. The Mulberry Boys, every Friday night. On the show, you better know they keep it tight. ETL is back and the J-Strom's in the zone. Introduce the co-host, he doesn't do it alone. PCZ is about to hold court. You know he's on the headset, you can hear him snort. Pop culture movies, TV shows and games. Rotten Tomatoes reviews news and Blu-rays. Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop pass. Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast. The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. What? What? The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. You've got to have somebody to fight for. Ain't that the truth? Want another drink? Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. That's why the court exists. The court doesn't exist to give him justice. Court exists to give him a chance at justice. Are they going to get it? They might. They might. See, the jury wants to believe. I mean, the jury wants to believe. 
It is something to see. I gotta go down there tomorrow and pick out 12 of them. And all of them, all their lives. It's a sham, it's rigged, you can't fight City Hall. But when they step into that jury box, I know you just barely see it in their eyes. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe what? So it's time for the verdict, Sidney Lou Metz 1982 film. And I mean, starting off, if you want to look at an incredibly diverse career, uh, just pursue Sidney Lou Metz. Uh, his filmography spanned 50 years and he's made some full fat classics in that time. <laughs> full fat classics, um, especially in the. 70s um and possibly maybe his, his greatest film was his first with and we've covered it which is 12 angry men and yeah he made films for 50 years and such a wonderful career but and i think that the verdict is a, is a nice film to watch alongside chicago 7 because it just shows the two different ends of the courtroom drama subgenre if you will because you've got chicago 7 which is full of energy, full of piss and vinegar, and it's it's angry and it's trying to, to batter you with a message, correctly so. And then you've got the verdict, which is subdued and calm and slow, and it's, it's much more about Paul Newman's character's story than yes. the case that's actually being um, tried itself. So... What you've got is you've got Paul Newman who plays a, a washed-up lawyer called Frank, a washed-up alcoholic lawyer called Frank. And in years prior, he was almost disbarred because there was a rumour that he got involved in some jury tampering. So he's lived on the lines, he's lived really through cases, as we see at the beginning, of, of widows going into funerals and trying to get cases through there. And when a friend comes over to see him and out of pity really yeah gives him this case which should be a easy win easy win easy going settle everybody wants to settle there seems to be a decent enough payout mm -hmm. and yeah he's a he's some free money practically however he sees an opportunity after visiting the, the victim of actually taking the people to court it's it, it, it's a case that's involved in medical malpractice. Yes. It, 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 a mistake has technically left somebody in, in a coma for life, mm -hmm. um, unable to, to breathe from themselves, to eat for themselves, to basically be a vegetable. Yes. And, yeah, I, I mean, I like the verdict because and so what interests me mostly about it is that it's a bit of a redemption story and not only is it that, but... The, the complexity of, I think it's a bit of a self-involved and borderline selfish redemption story. Definitely, it, definitely selfish. Yeah, so it's like how he, how Frank, how Paul Newman's character sees a way for him to get back, but also for them to see himself in a different light, but not really him, but for other people to see yes. him in a, a different light. And it's like, is that false? Is it not? Uh, is he doing it for the correct reasons, which I'll probably argue not at the beginning. Yeah, definitely agree. 
And I think that complexity of it, it is great because I say the family want to settle. Yeah. The family want to settle, but he takes it to court because he, he thinks that he can win. And be, being, a rede- being a redemption story, it, it's, it's a character study really of Paul Newman's character. And his performance is very low-key. Because mm-hmm. Paul Newman, back in the day, he was... He was Mr. Charm. He had the beautiful blue eyes. He had the big grin. And his performances were very much, this is my character. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the whole men want to be him, women want to sleep with him mm-hmm. angle. And this is obviously him a bit more aged. And you see the cracks and you see all the the moral ambiguities of him. But this is a diff- completely different experience to Chicago 7. So what did you think about it? I did really like it. I thought it was very good. I hadn't, I haven't really seen anything of Paul Newman, I don't think. Well, we'll change that. Okay. <laughs> I might have. I might have just not realised it was him. Hmm. Uh, so no, I did. I really enjoyed it. I liked the fact that... Um, so the people that he's going up against is the Archdiocese. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was... It was interesting because it is it's quite controversial or you know it it's um going up against a very big establish uh big establishment and then you get to see how that big establishment then preps its witnesses yes. pays for good PR does everything it is very much a David and Goliath story exactly that's what I like about it as well and even in the same sense of Trial of the Chicago 7 mm-hmm. is is kind of a, a David Goliath because when you're when you're going against the government exactly you're always going to be the smaller exactly so I did I did really like it I thought it was um really really good um little things I didn't like I didn't like um what's her face Laura Charlotte Ramplin. Yeah. I thought she added nothing. Absolutely nothing to the... Uh... It's a strange one because I find her character a little complex and a little bit strange because she does feel a bit pushed in from the side and it's like there's no reason for that to be... Well, we, we've said, has he maybe got... Did he maybe have something in his contract where he's still got to be seen as being desirable? Does he still have to have... Like a leading lady, a love interest. Um, because that's kind of how it feels. That yeah, like she was just kind of just put in. She could have literally been anybody. Yeah. She didn't have to be somebody that he had a romantic relationship with. She could have been anybody. In fact, the guy that he was already friends with, the other lawyer, could have bolstered him up in other ways. Because that that was it. She was there to build his confidence. Mm. The other guy could have done that. If you could have scrapped her and kept everything else, perfect. Yeah, and I, I like the way that, as you mentioned, you get to see the minutiae of stuff and, like, when you get to see James Mason's character prep the witness and mm-hmm. you understand how inflection and rhetoric and say it this way, say I, not we, and, yeah. and the importance of that on the stand and just how orchestrated it is. Like, you... You'd think that people go up there and answer the questions as they know, but obviously they know the questions they're going to be asked. Yeah. And they've got to deliver it in a certain way so that the jury gets... Um, Even just like not using like the medical language. Yeah. When he says, oh, yeah, and then she 
did this in her mask and it was like, no, she was sick in her mask. She was yeah. vomited in her mask. Don't use that other way of saying it yeah. because it sounds cold yeah. and detached. You say something that is more human that people understand. And there is a scene which I actually think is the most powerful moment of the movie, and that is when... Well, the reason why Paul Newman does take on the case to go to trial is because he has this star witness. Yes. Now, a couple of days before the trial is supposed to begin, he loses that witness, Mm -hmm. and they go looking for another one. Find one, and they get him in coming on a train. So he goes to meet this witness on a train. And then we find, well, we find, we see that this expert witness is black. Mm -hmm. And it's the look on Paul Newman's face in that moment that it just says so many different things. It's it's saying that he's not against the fact that he's black, but he sees the jury's perception of it and not yeah. only the prejude, but, but even the, the jury's racism that they don't even know that they have. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that programmed. Yeah. To, the, to not the stereotypes, trust. the racial bias, that sort of thing. They wouldn't, they're, they, they're taught not to, they're taught to think that a white doctor is better than a black doctor yeah. when they've been to the same schools, they've trained in the same stuff. They've mm. had the same education, the same kind of experiences. It's, it's even talking about a jury, like regarding, like you know, saying he's a, he's a black witness, and mm-hmm. I remember you mentioned it. You're like saying, "Well, the actual the opposition go and say, well, we'll get a black person on our legal team, our, our, our team, so we don't look." It, it's you. It just you're playing a game, yeah. In, in essence, and it's yeah that look that Paul Newman gives him. As I said, it's just that. If you want to look that sums up systematic racism in one word, like in one glance, it's yeah. that, and it's superb for it. Mm-hmm. But again, I think we've 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 paired these two films up regarding courtroom dramas, but they could actually probably be joined together with like two films that have a judge who's terrible. Yes, and one of the reasons why I do like this film and the fact that it does give that glimmer of hope at the end is the fact that we do see a human reaction to someone because when we get the witness that explains what this doctor has done yeah and the, the, how he's the, falsified how records. he's falsified records and how he's threatened people and there's a technicality where the judge says forget it yeah. And the judge, technically, the judge should have been taken out and they shouldn't have heard it. Mm-hmm. But they aren't. But the fact that we see humans who can't forget fact just because of it's technicalities. Yeah, someone's told you. Yeah, how, how, I don't, I never understand when they go, don't listen to that. And it's like, this whole thing it's completely changed the whole how how can you disregard that i don't think i could and this is why i also think like you've got this stop redemption story of paul newman but which starts off selfish but then he brings in along with him sort of unwilling with unwillingly is his feelings against the legal system Mm -hmm. and against how generally it's not who's right or wrong but it's who has the most money yes and the fact that money talks it doesn't matter if you were wronged and you probably win a case it's the fear of maybe not winning 
so therefore you take money. Yeah. And it is increasingly dis like disturbing that that is the fact. Mm-hmm. And again, you you see that through Paul Newman's character. He has a scene with the the bishop, I think he is, and it's like, what is the truth? Yeah. He's like, well, this woman is doesn't have her own like life anymore. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Go, he, he sort of rattles off, and it's when you're discussing when you're in these you sort of do forget the victims all you do think about is the outcome yeah and that's what you're going for and i think the way this film does that and the way he presents it is really well because it's done it it's very idly paced mm-hmm. it's, it's not a quick film and it doesn't feel like a quick film it's, it's about the same length as trial of chicago 7 but probably feels double the time just because it it doesn't race along. It's very much about these sort of isolated moments mm-hmm. uh, uh, of character of like the fact that we, we don't, I don't think we really get a proper scene within the plot of the film for about 10 minutes. Cause all we're doing is we're living the life with Paul Newman. Yes. We, we see are, him yeah. in the bar. We see him going to funerals. We see yeah. him. So it's like we, without him, without a word of exposition, we understand who this character is, what he's doing and where he needs to go. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I, I really like the film. There's not really that much to talk about. I think I think Charles Chicago Seven is a book, much more film to easily discuss because mm-hmm. I think there's, a, there's as you said, there's lots of moving pieces in it. Um, but if you like Paul Newman, if you haven't seen The Verdict, I would definitely, definitely check it out. Definitely, I think I think you'd really like it. So that's it for this week. Woo. What are we doing next week? This is going to be a new thing. We're, we're going to be organised. We're going to plan and... We're going to record. We're going to record. We are basing next week's theme on, like, heat wave, summertime, hot weather. Yeah, because we had three days of over 20 degrees in England. So we've had our summer. So we've had our summer. So we're feeling a summer mood. Yes. So, yeah, we were going to do films set in summer, set in heat wave. So get in touch. Give us your favourites. Get your sunnies on. Yeah, so yeah, go over to hisfilmhermovie.com. Click that email button, get involved. Or follow Let us, us know. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. All the links are there. And as I said, if you want to hear my voice again on a different podcast, go over to um, Cine Notes, go check for it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Yeah. Um, and hear me chat with Ian Catcher and Boom. As I said, I had a blast with them. We discussed Blowout. And yeah, I think that is about it for this week. That is it. Goodbye. Bye. See you next week.